and hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism only on America's Web Radio.com. Coming at you, it's a special election day here in the great state of Georgia and probably in other states around the, uh, the, the country here. Got a lot of stuff going on. We've got a great uh, in studio guest today. Our friend Irina Srembitsky has joined us. She's a uh, uh, originally Ukrainian and moved here when she was nine years old and going to talk about a whole host of events that. Uh, she's been cognizant of and some of the challenges that, that she's been seeing in, in her job and uh, some of the, the, the media bias that we've been um, seeing as well. We'll also be joined at 2.45 p.m. by Alex Jimenez, who is presenting live tonight at the Buckhead Young Republicans meeting, uh, 7 p.m. at Whitehall Tavern. A, he has a series of lectures called the Red Pill Forum. Alex is uh, Cuban and Argentinian descent and has uh, apparently a very uh, riveting presentation as uh, Keith Hanks, the Buckhead Young Republican chair, has described it about Cuba and why opening it up to trade and, and lifting the embargo may not be such a good idea. Previous listeners to this show have heard me say that I personally think it is a good idea as long as we implement things in the proper way. So it uh, should be a great discussion here at 245. But uh, first things first, we've got uh, Mr. Obama, the, uh, the lead negotiator on another deal here. This one would basically, uh, it's like Iran just won the uh, Power 6 lottery, Powerball. They're going to get about $100 billion of their money back and not have to get rid of their nuclear arsenal. Put it this way, Bibi Netanyahu from Israel hates the deal. Iran loves the deal. That should tell you all you need to know. And I, uh, I'm i not sure what we can do in the Congress or Senate. I don't know if this needs approval. Obama has threatened to veto anything that would not allow for the successful implementation of it. David, I don't uh, I don't know exactly what that means. We have 60 days to review it, and then do they get a vote on it to say yay or nay, or, or, or what uh, uh, I, What was a, he talking about? It's an up-down vote, uh, but they you can't... Anything, it has to be ratified by Congress, supposedly, and, and uh, Obama and his... Uh, Ultimate wisdom is threatening, uh, you know, to veto. Uh, if they veto it, he's going to override the veto. And I, and, uh, I don't think Congress has the votes. Uh, uh, you know, there are too many idiots in Congress uh, to know whether it's left, right, or wrong, and, and they can't tell that it's this is it's a terrible deal. So he, so he'll, he, so Congress has to approve it. If they don't approve it, he can veto their non-approval. Yeah. I How mean, the hell he, does that well, work? He, you know, they they can go against it and. Uh, and, and he, he can, can say, screw you, we're doing it anyway? Then why, why, it. why bother going through Congress exactly. anyway? Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, um, uh, just to get the seal of approval, maybe? Yeah, he can override their veto. And uh, <laughs> I think that this is, you know, the public, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm beyond the point of knowing what's going to get Obama's attention and what we can do. Um, it's up to Congress, really, and they, they should come out forcefully enough. Uh, I think it should get down to the to really being somebody having a set to uh, be as nasty as possible. I think this is the this is the end of the line. Um, you give, and it's not necessarily for tomorrow, but it's the end of the line for you all. You all are young. You, you haven't had kids yet, but mm-hmm. this would destroy, you know, your kids, uh, grandkids, from my standpoint, grandkids. Um, 
and and my kids. I, I this is the you can't give nuclear weapons to these people. Well, Irene, I want to get you in on here. You've been following this uh, this issue, and uh, obviously, you being from a, a former Eastern Bloc country, now I've been here for more than a U.S. citizen for more than twenty years. So it's not like you're fresh from Ukraine, but you might give you a little bit of a different perspective on you know how the U.S. should be handling a country like Iran. Well. Thank you, Greg, and thank you, David, for having me on the show. Um, just the way things are going with the Middle East, uh, someone like me puts a fear into even bringing kids into this world because of the uncertainty. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the whole the, they just take a nuclear bomb and bomb the whole United States. I mean, maybe that's a little far fetched, a little, but uh, it is a concern. That's how I feel. I almost sometimes think, let it end just with me, and I don't even. I just think it's going to be worse the way it's going. Um, it, it, it's going to be worse for the other generations. So um, I, I don't even feel good about um, bringing any, you know, having any other younger generations come in after me. I, that's, that might be an extreme statement, but I, that's kind of how I feel. Um, you know, you 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 have to be very tough. Like when, when I listen to the BB inter, uh, stand in front of Congress, uh, he, you have to be tough with that with, with that whole Middle Eastern bloc. These, these people do not, they, they have a whole different agenda. And unless you shut them down completely, they, they want to destroy the West. Mm-hmm. They want to destroy this, the way of life, the United States. The, they, you know, and they, they're just trying to find a way to do it. Um, you know, if you give them, I think you give them an inch, they're going to take a foot. And again, I, I would not be surprised if the uh, Actually, uh, something really, really terrible happened. Well, unfortunately, Obama claims that they were we're negotiating from a position of strength, and I find that really hard to believe. Uh, and that's you, coming you can, from a community you, organizer. I was about to say you can comment as much as you want about um, our recovery versus uh, Iran and uh, the oil prices and some of the the issues, but to to state that the United States or that Obama administration has a, a position of strength negotiating with anybody is preposterous. And this is this is right after they just, you know, lit up the White House with the rainbow flags. Now, listen, we can we can debate that all we want whether or not that was uh, it was clearly a propaganda move here, but the the Islamic community certainly isn't a fan of gay marriage, and that could be looked at as a sign of weakness. And since Valerie Jarrett apparently uh, Obama's right-hand gal, it was her idea. She's uh, Iranian by birth. She was the one who conceived that idea. How can that possibly be a position of strength for that to be this image that comes uh, right around the 4th of July, our Independence Day, and now we're saying, oh, we're going to negotiate with a hostile regime about nuclear weapons. I just, it's, it, it's preposterous, and it's a fantasy that we were negotiating from strength. Uh, you know, one thing, if and I, I'm not an expert, don't claim to be, but I know what I'm going to be doing. And, and this, you know, everybody worries about the bomb. It's not the bomb that they're going to have. Within months, they will have the ability to launch an EMP attack. You know, an Electromag- EMP? electric magnetic pulse, right? Right. Okay. And uh, that would destroy us. We, I mean, we'd be out of business. We, we couldn't turn on the lights. We couldn't buy gas. We couldn't 
go to the store. We couldn't, we couldn't broadcast. We couldn't broadcast on America's oh, Web no. Radio dot com. Well, now that's I, I, that's the secret. Can we get plan. Can we get the walkie talkies out at least? That's the secret plan that we've got. <laughs> uh, you know, we got enough gas to go for twenty five years. Uh, some of our hosts are providing. <laughs> I was about to say, I don't know. Are we have, are we going fully green uh, here at this? But no, you know that's that's the thing that worries me. I'm I'm not worried about quote unquote Iran. Bombing us per se, mm-hmm. uh, but I I am well, very I mean, concerned the, yeah. about an EMP attack. Which you know they they have probably the capabilities are damn close to it right now. Yeah, it depends how widespread it would go. I mean, do you do an EMP just in New York City or Washington D.C. to knock out no, our they, infrastructure? I mean, it they, would they they launch one if you read up on it. They a country could launch one that. Uh, uh, it's blown up over Nebraska, or, and there's a drift factor to it as well. It, it's not just so one 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 well placed attack could, in theory, one take out the the United States. Gee, I bet they got a couple of buddies that could take care of the West well, Coast while somebody well, else they're, takes they're, care of They're it. live tweeting to them right now. So. Yeah, so <laughs> you know, it's um, that's that's what I'm more concerned about. And yeah, well, and Israel's got to be concerned directly about a. Uh, a weapon of mass destruction. While on 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 our end, yeah, the the EMP legitimately, if that shut down our entire power grid, that would be as good as as hitting us with a nuke long, yeah. long term. And the sad part of in in many ways, I'd rather be hit by a, a nuke and be here today and gone tomorrow than the suffering that'll go on with an EMP attack will be. Yeah. Do you, now, when you were growing up, do you remember anything uh, about like Chernobyl or what? Your Chernobyl's probably before yeah. you were born, but the after uh, yes. effects were still there. In they're, Ukraine. they're still there today. Um, yes, um, you can't escape it. I think, uh, like David, you said. I mean, there's a lasting effect of years and years. I mean, you yeah, you do suffer through it. Um, you know, it's something something you definitely want to put behind you, but. Um, Do you remember growing up, like, fearing anything? Like, uh, I mean, I guess you were in third or fourth grade. What I remember growing up is, uh, you know, the fear of the lack of opportunity. Um, You know, you couldn't really start a small business um, and have it be successful. You couldn't, um, you know, unless you had the connections with the government or um, some kind of pool, you really couldn't do anything. So you couldn't come up. You, you, you know, some you couldn't just have uh, you know a family open a, a brand new assisted living and memory care like we're doing right now, and 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 you know work work, work their way up to it and and have a chance to be successful. It would be you know just wouldn't the opportunity would not be there. Um, you'd have to pay off the government officials. Um, so that's what that I remember as being the biggest fear in people is having the government. Shut down the opportunity. Okay. Um, you know, having the government control what, who's successful and who's not. And, uh, that's like the biggest fear. And I, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I have felt being in, you know, especially in the last six years, that, that is kind of coming to the United States. Um, you know, you escape it, you, you get away from it, you almost forget about it. A couple decades pass, you're like, whew, you know, here's the opportunity. You got, and then, and then you kind of start feeling some government pressure. And again, I think in the last six years, a lot of small businesses have fallen. That's like a trickle down effect. If it's in a national government, it trickles down to your state and then your local governments. And it's just kind of the overall 
uh, mentality is that the government can shut you down or you know has a control of your success. Yeah, they really do. The um, the the overregulation and, and regulations under the Obama administration have been terrible. And when you look at a local level, I've always said this statement that big government evils exist at local government levels. And what that means is you if you're in a small town, everybody wants local control. But if you're in a small town or a county or, or even a big town or a big county and you have draconian regulations put on by city councils or, or county commissioners, that can be the same debilitating effect as, as federal regulations. If you think about it, a lot of times if you're being regulated directly by the feds, you're probably at interstate commerce. But your typical regulation is going to be found at the local level. And uh, here in, this, in the state of Georgia, we have several different levels of government. We have the federal, we have the state, we have the county, we have the city. And um, that's, a, that's a lot of <laughs> laws that are on the books and regulations that we have to face. Absolutely, and uh, and if you're if you're a, a small business, such as uh, you know what I'm doing right now is uh, we're opening up a brand new assisted living and memory care uh, called uh, from Orchard Senior now Living. What is memory care? Uh, memory care is uh, specialized dementia and Alzheimer's care. Um, it ba- basically it's a it, it's a section of the community that has even specialized staff, specialized programming, some specialized business uh, uh, building features, um, and a smaller staff to um, resident ratio. And it's for those that you know have uh, dementia, Alzheimer's. Okay. So as we are seeing, kind of. Uh an increase, it seems, in uh, early onset Alzheimer's. Perhaps it's just because we're able to diagnose things faster. I'm not really sure. Dave, do you want to take our uh, break here? And then uh, we'll hear from our sponsors for a couple minutes. Be back with uh, Irina Strambitsky, and you're listening to Greg's List. Thanks. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's web radio. My name is Dr. Jeff Terry from Mobile, Alabama. I love taking care of my patients and not computers. That is why I need your help. On October 1st, the government will mandate that I implement the new ICD-10 coding system, and if not able to do so, then I will be put out of business and my patients will have to find a new physician. Please call and write your congressmen and senators today and tell them no to ICD-10. Tell them physicians need a grace period in order to concentrate on you, the patient, and not the computer. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
And welcome back to Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism only on America's Web Radio.com. You can also find me at Greg'sListLive.blog.com when the blog.com site is actually working, which uh, I had written a, a prediction on House District 24. Last week we had Sherry Gilligan uh, on the show, and today is the uh, Judgment Day in front of the, as they face the voters up there. That one is a runoff election. There's also elections going on in House District 80 which is the uh, Brookhaven, Shambly, Sandy Springs. Also House District 146 down in uh, uh, Warner Robins area. So a lot of folks are facing the, the voters today. And from what I'm hearing in Brookhaven, we're having decent turnout. And Irina, you just recently moved over to the Brookhaven area. You're working on a, a brand new construction project. I was able to take a, a preview of it last week. And this has a lot of... Uh, um, interesting facets of it that uh, combine the challenges of opening up a small business, the regulations in dealing with taking different levels of insurance, uh, some of the, the propaganda that people are saying that since Georgia didn't expand Medicaid, it's not a good place for people to retire. So yours, it's uh, your development, you're the marketing uh, director over there. It's called Orchard Senior Living and Memory Care. Is that all one part of it? It is. It's uh, it's part of the or, uh, Orchard Senior Living uh, brand, and it's uh, Orchard at Tucker is the is the location. It's on 2060 Idlewood Road in historic Tucker, right off of Main Street. Uh, Main Street turns into it's Idlewood. This beautiful building that uh, it's a, it's an amazing campus. I had no idea it was going to be such a, a a massive structure. Well, part of the reason why it, it looked like uh, a large home with the home like amenities is that we are, we are you know it's assisted living a memory care and a not skilled nursing and we are we're not super heavily regulated by the government like the skilled nursings and that's why we can provide uh some beautiful beautiful facility we can we can do things that the residents and their families want so it's um, a di- the, the, okay so we've got a nursing home and then you say yours is non-skilled nursing is that a technical term Right, it's a different licensure. Okay. So, um, you know, the basically the what what it is is that um, it, it's for um, it, it is an aging in place, but we we don't we our staff does not provide the twenty four hour skilled services. We do provide twenty four hour care, but it's not you know skilled care from our uh, RNs and doctors twenty four hours a day. We do have people coming in to provide a la carte care and different services as needed. But um, you know our residents are in better shape than um, skilled nursing. Uh, also, we are you know we're private pay and um, you know skilled nursing because of the regulation. It's seven thousand uh, to about nine thousand for uh, for either a semi-private or private room seven to nine thousand per month per month based on the, because of the regulation now, um, would that be paid by medicare at the skilled well, nursing part i guess when i because when i had talked to you last week about this you had talked about um you know medicare doesn't really pay for mm-hmm, y'all's y'all's right. is private pay so these are uh, uh adults that either have savings in their own accounts or that have children that are willing to help supplement it and your rooms range from three to five thousand per yeah, month. Um, yes um about three thousand starting to about um you know 5300 for the memory care which is all inclusive um however you get a beautiful apartment uh five-star dining all day uh, uh menu on top of the regular three meals a day ten thousand a square foot enclosed garden uh along with uh you know the care options mm-hmm. and uh different entertainment options 
Um, so that three thousand a month—that's thirty-six thousand mm-hmm. per year, and right? Yes, and so that basically comes from either uh, it's private care, so it's somebody's four hundred one k that may be paying out, or do you guys try to collect like the full fee up front? How does that no, work? no, you pay monthly, okay. um, and we do take long-term care insurance, veterans benefits. Most people, it's there. Um, it's it's some savings. Um, a lot of people of generation we've seen the World War Two generation, silent generation, right now, kind coming in. And then we're seeing some younger people with the Alzheimer's. You know, we're getting a good amount of 70-year-olds into the memory care um, that are in good shape, just, uh, you know, have some wandering. The Alzheimer's kind of uh, kicking in for safety. They need mm-hmm. to be there. But, um, so we you see it from their income. Um, a lot of the uh, residents, uh, you know, they have been in their home for uh, 30, 40, 50 years. They they own it. So they could, you know, the home values are so high now they sell it. Well, they do a reverse mortgage even. Well, most of the time they, they own, most of uh, 95% own the home. They get a good amount of assets from that. But one thing I wanted to clarify about the nursing home, the, the what, I'm a, it's, it's great. In the United States, it's, I, I guess it's always, it's great to be super rich or super poor. Uh, I think everyone in between sort of, uh, gets the short end of the stick. And what people don't know about nursing home is the government will only kick in if you're absolutely penniless. There's a five year look back period. If you did any kind of, if you gave any money, if you spend any money, you have to be penniless with under, you know, 2100, uh, in income. And, uh, and then the government will kick in. Uh, where there's a space, which is hard to find so they as would, well. They would look so at your Social Security income and then pay the difference? They will drain. Basically what happens is if you need starting, if you need some type of skill care like that, they will drain all your assets and, you know, everything <laughs> that you have. And then when you're penniless, they will kick in so you're not on the street. So they will try to liquidate anything uh, right. somebody has. That's right. Okay. So what, you know, so community like ours, even though it's uh, it's a, lug- like you said, a, luxur- a luxury home-like, you know, environment where you have beautiful apartment, five star dining. You know, monthly is about uh, a, a third to a most a half uh, of the cost of the skilled nursing, uh, and you, you you get a quality of life. You're there safely, and really, you protect your assets for your assets long last for twice as long. Because if you end up something happens to you, you end up going to skilled nursing. You will be paying seven to nine thousand a month, and when everything's gone. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, I used to work in a, a community that did have the skilled nursing component. Um, most people, you know, they passed away before everything was close to getting drained. So they didn't even get it, take advantage of, you know, that Medicaid because they really, they, you have to have less than $2,000 in assets in order for it to uh, kick in. assets or income? Both. Okay. So you have to be down to just nothing, okay. you know, to be able to. I mean, basically most people, if it's just. If it's just one person and they've worked, you know, their whole life, they're probably getting between a thousand to fifteen hundred social security per month. Would you? Th- I would say that we see, we see typically the uh, we have a lot of veterans. That's the generations okay. we're working so with. They may get a veteran VA they, benefit. They get pension, VA pension, and, uh, social security. You know, now that it's sort of changing the economy, but we still see in the gen- you know, generations we're working with. They, in many cases, also have a pension uh, from uh, their work. You know, it used to be people stayed 30 years, um, you know, at the same at the same company, were able to get the company pension. So there's a good amount. There's a good amount of folks that have have the funds. Um, you know what Warchard is is it's it's the it's the first option that came to Georgia that uh, had that basically it's an assisted living and memory care that's built like 
the um, the high end uh, continuum of care or independent living communities. Okay. Typically, what you see assisted livings are small. They're dark. They they have a few they amenity smell areas. Like right. They there's sort of like an afterthought. It's uh, you know, and it, you got a smaller activity room. You play bingo. Uh, what the orchard is is a community of care. Uh, we are taking uh, on causes that residents believe in. You know, we have um, supported cityhood for Tucker. Um, uh, our, the residents that have uh, come in, they they <laughs> want the Tucker people will be doing voter registration. That's right. We that. are doing water. We are doing voter registrations at the community. Are you really? Yes, okay. we are. Um, we're we're going to be doing a fundraiser for for the cause for, for city of Tucker. Okay. Yes, wow. we um we you know we're also very big on veterans. Veterans causes. Uh, we have a pinning ceremony uh, for the veterans, not just at the community on uh, August twenty second, but also for res- for veterans of the city. Um, you know, when we do th- when our residents we take a we take a cause on. It's not just for the community; it's it, for our particular residents and communities, for the whole community in general. And we welcome res- uh, veterans from um, th- the local areas um, to come in. And, uh, and the event's going to be listed on um, our Facebook page, uh, Orchard Senior Living, or on our website, www.orchardseniorliving.com. Or for any information, you can um, email me at marketing at uh, orchardseniorliving.com. Um, and we will be doing a lot of those kind of events, and we're taking a lot of causes on. And the causes we're taking are the causes that the residents and their families want to take on. It's... Um, we, we're a big family, and we're gonna we're gonna stand together, and we're gonna we uh, we're gonna stand for something. So we're gonna play bingo, we're gonna have trips, we're gonna have fun, but we're also gonna I think stand you for do something. A, do like a poker night too, Texas Hold'em. That would be fun. Now you can, you can't give away any cash prizes. There's all sorts of weird regulations. I got to find that out when I ran for uh, state senate last year. I was told, <laughs> Greg, you cannot have poker night if you charge people and give away a prize. So I basically said, okay, we won't be giving away prizes. <laughs> but my 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 tournament entrance did not like to hear that part of it. But uh, at any rate, the the winner was uh, was was finally compensated and uh, everything was finished on that. But I think that would be a lot of fun and. Uh, no, I'm uh, I'm impressed that y'all are doing some of this uh, community activism because Tucker and La Vista Hills are both two cities that'll be on the ballot here in Georgia. Which I will say, folks, Atlanta is just a it's a fascinating place for people that come here. You moved down here from Ohio. Um, what do you, do you see is the biggest difference? You were in Columbus or Akron area. Um. All of them, Ak- Akron, Cleveland. I have uh, my sister. She's a dentist over in, okay. Co- in now, Columbus. So here, like, what the difference, like, here we have so many little cities that are all kind of next to each other. Do mm-hmm. they have that same dynamic in Ohio? Or? Not not at all. And that's what <laughs> I love. Um, I got to tell you, I love Brookhaven, and I love Tucker. Um, you know, as far as there's certain parts of Atlanta that I would say have that cityhood feel. And if you have that cityhood feel, you you know you might as well be become a city um, and not you know get jumbled in with the, you know the rest of the county that's sort of so that's partly why um, you know I think it it's it just keeps it just keeps it a certain way you have residents there that have been there for so many years mm-hmm. and uh, you know the city gets lost sometimes in translation when when it gets all jumbled in um, so I I personally am a big fan of the cityhood mm-hmm. movement I mean I know there's some you know uh, Brookhaven where I live has become became a city and uh, I think it's good I know there's some growing pains it's always the case but I think the key to the city is to be pro-business this country was built on small business to give everyone opportunity and you want to make it easier for uh, to bring good businesses and 
options for consumers. So that's the thing. The less opportunities in business, the less uh, the less choices there are for consumers. And you, you want consumers to have great choices of communities, stores, um, the different services. So they can choose the best one, and, yeah. and that holds businesses and want, accountable. And you want people working for the private sector, not like Greece, where more than 50% of the damn country works for government. So the jobs that y'all are creating are construction jobs and marketing mm-hmm. jobs, and, and you'll be bringing in nurses. So you've right. got you've got a, a, a skilled labor. Uh, you've got professional employees there. And, I mean, when it's all finished up, y'all will probably have 30-plus employees there, I'd imagine. Absolutely. So that's, that's, Absolutely. it's a job-creating engine. Uh, obviously, the United States, we're, we're, we're seeing an aging population come into play, which is why Social Security is, is slowly circling the, the drain of bankruptcy, which is why Medicare is getting more and more expensive. So we need to find so, the solutions where we do have a, a, a public-private partnership somewhat where we can say, look, we're going we're gonna to provide you private care and not be costing so much money on the public dole. Anyway, let's take our uh, 2.30 break here. When we get back, I want to talk about immigration. Immigration is such an important issue for the United States and for the Republican Party because I do think that eventually the Republican Party can win on this issue if they learn how to articulate it a little bit better and show that we're fans of legal immigration, not illegal. We'll see you in a couple minutes on Greg's List. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
We got uh, uh, insight to Israel, I believe, don't we? I bet you, uh, Michael Gano. So we're back on Greg's list. We do a little off-air chatting about uh, all the all the great stuff. We're joined in studio today by uh, an outstanding guest, Irina Strambitsky, who uh, we're going to talk a little bit about immigration. We have been talking about some of the. Uh, uh, the regulations and, and opportunity issues that uh, the United States has had it previously been a, uh, a great opportunity for folks, and, and we're finding the last six years of the Obama administration has slowly been strangling people. But we also have regulations on a, on a state level. I just uh, Irina just told us that uh, her sister, who is a dentist up in Ohio, the Buckeye State is unable to transfer here because of some weird Georgia law. What? Uh, so we, we we have too many dentists here, or well, not right, enough cavities. Jump, or you're jumping the gun. Uh, you know, like I just told you, or, Orchard. Uh, you know, we're a purposeful community. So this is we're going to take on and uh, propose a couple new laws for, okay. for the state of Georgia. <laughs> so I was going to you know wait till another time to announce the specifics, but. Uh, what happened was uh, my sister breaking news here. Very talented dentist um, out of Ohio State in Columbus, and was considering coming here, and she was not able to because Georgia is one of the very few states that does not accept the national exam that she took. Over forty states accept it. Uh, Georgia has their own regional exam. Um, that only Georgia and a couple states use. And so she would have to take a completely new exam. But she explained to me, it wasn't just a paper exam. She would have to redo, I mean, it was like a $2,000 exam where you had to do the whole practical part of it mm. and do another, you know, a root canal and a whole, not, you know, not only take the, I mean, a series of tests, or she'd have to uh, practice for five years and then be able to uh, come. So when, when she's, you know, she's working at a great practice, She's looking to, you know, in five years she's gonna she's gonna be ready to start her own practice. She sure is not coming to Georgia now after she's developed her clientele and kind of knows the market. So I don't understand. I kind of Georgia's limiting itself with the professionals and uh, how you're gonna attract talented uh, dentists from all over the country if they can't even come in. Uh, you know, making them wait five years. I mean, good luck. Once they get established, they're not coming here. <laughs> But so that's something that yeah. it's an outdated Georgia law. I don't know if it's uh, so much that it's uh, I think it's just outdated. And I think Georgia ha- hasn't really been brought to life. So that's one of the uh, propositions that I, I am working on. I, uh, you know, we, you know, sort of wanting to get some of the I know our residents are very involved in the lack, sometimes the lack of doctors and professionals that they see. So mm-hmm. I wanted to you know, get their input before I officially launch some of the uh, propositions that, you know, Orchard have, Tucker like, senior supports. Senior living and senior lobbying, it sounds Right. Like. Well, okay. we, have, you know, we, got, we have nothing but time. All we do, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, we, what we do is we, we have fun, we, you know, we eat, we get, we, we get the care we need, and but then we have a parts of the day where we want to be used. We want to have a purpose. Perf- Purposeful life, so we we're getting behind, and again, it's we don't do it as on a one base. We get it, we do it as a family. So you know, the residents we get together and we kind of talk about what is important to us, and um, and and then we sort of go from there, and we and we stand on the topics, and we do what we can. We write letters, we hold events, we bring awareness. Um, you, know, you you want you want to stand for something and make a difference, and, and and you know, so we have we have fun and we make a difference. That's kind of the orchard difference. Is is that it's a purposeful life. Um, and Do any, any of your residents work? I'm sorry? Do any of your residents work? 
No, nope. That's why I said we have nothing but time on our hands. And that's I'm there all day. It's my job. And they're retired. So we have nothing but time to make a difference. This is the time. And a lot of the, the residents are so, they're educated. They're, they're uh, world travelers. They've been through a lot. And they, and they're, um, and they're, they're, a lot of issues are important to them. You know, veterans' causes is usually something that's important to me and important to the residents, making sure that our veterans are taken care of. Um, also, that um, as far as the medical part of it, you know, we do see each year there's limitations on what Medicare covers, what it won't cover, and um, uh, personally, I would like to have seen cuts to Medicaid versus Medicare for our hardworking seniors that work so hard to earn that care. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. You know, kind of that's uh, that's something. Yeah, we do, that's another community issue that we be, we believe in, and we would like some prevent more preventive services, some mental health coverage, um, some more chiropractic coverage. And what people don't know is a lot of those services are not covered. Um, and I think our residents and our just the seniors yep. and the, they deserve it. They've earned it, and uh, we it's, we we're gonna get behind and we're gonna do a couple propositions this fall, and uh, hopefully get it get it on the ballot for the next time around and really gain some publicity. Like I said, we have nothing but time to make it happen. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's fascinating. And in fact, I think that. Uh, um uh, there's a few items that uh, that I think are going to be important for us next year. Obviously, uh, your residents are going to want uh, transportation, and MARTA is uh, actually operating in the black, which is great news. Uh, it looks <laughs> like y'all. I mean, it's amazing. No, we have our own. Yeah, we have our own van. Transportation, but uh, there may be avenues as well for uh, taxi cabs and companies like Uber and Lyft to be able to mm-hmm. provide service as well, and. Uh, you know, anytime that the state or some of these local folks want to try to shut down transportation and consumer options, I can imagine that we'd have a, uh, a very vocal group and a very passionate group from folks like uh, like your your group over at the, at the orchard. So I am excited to hear that you're willing to, to to put some of these issues out and get behind some of this stuff. That's really exciting stuff, actually. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we were going to put these things forth and uh, gain the publicity for it. I think a lot of people get um, sidetracked in the day to day and just uh, and just forget the things that are going around around them. You know, you have mm-hmm. a work day, you fight traffic. You know, Atlanta's traffic is not fun, <laughs> and and you just things get lost in translation. So what we want to do is kind of specify it down to several issues, and um, and again, there's cer- there's certain things like they um, you know care for all our elderly that they've they've earned it. You know, mm-hmm. if anyone there's everyone else should be cut before theirs. Right. You know, well, I gotta so so some of these other issues that we got obviously you went through the legal immigration process my wife went through the legal immigration process we've got this story come out of san francisco now and last night i was watching megan kelly and she had the brother of uh of of the murdered uh, lady um I'm trying to remember what their last name is really quick um, St- steinley steinley and i think her name was kate steinley yeah. mm-hmm. and uh just uh just heartbreaking to hear what she was having, uh, what he and the family were, were going through with this this uh, this guy, uh, Francisco Sanchez, who has been in and out of the country five times as illegal and, has, and apparently has some kind of mental illness, too. 
And the fact that he was able to be wandering around the streets, he says he found a gun which had been stolen by some customs officials a month ago, is just a bizarre story. And the fact that there had not been one call, not from Joe Biden, not from Obama, not from anybody in the administration, when the left used this Dylan Roof shooter in, in, in Charleston as a whole campaign to tear down the complete history of the Confederacy and, and some Southern heritage here. Not everybody looks at the Confederate flag as a, a symbol of hate. In fact, most Southerners look at it as a as, as kind of a regional symbolism and a source of Southern pride just saying where they are. I can't help it if some people look at a flag and feel offended by it. The people get offended by the rainbow flag. People get offended by the Nazi flag. The, any kind of symbolism can be offensive to somebody. But if we operate in a world that is so worried about being politically correct, then we will fall for anything and stand for nothing. And when I was watching this, this testimony and thinking about all the folks that work hard and do things the right way to come here legally and are productive citizens... And at the same time, we are funding sanctuary cities like San Francisco that allow these murderers to wander around basically unmolested by any kind of law enforcement. It's disgraceful. And Irina, you probably have a, a perspective on that as well. I can imagine your process coming here from Ukraine. I don't know how much you remember from it, but mm -hmm. I'm sure it was long and arduous. Very, very. I remember that part. I remember um, one thing that it particularly stands out to me is the health testing that we had to go through. I remember we were in the Ukraine. We had to travel to Moscow and get tested for everything under the sun. Huh. And, you know, really? yes. And, you know, the thing is, and I know I'm a little partial, but I'm worried about myself. But, you know, I just just environment I work in, I, wor I, I mostly worry about just the, our residents and the, the older community. They're, they're more susceptible to that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the older you are, your immune system just so... These people do not get tested. They're coming. They could be coming in here with TB, all kinds of other diseases, and that's just the truth. I'm, I'm, I know the left likes to say, "Well, no, they're not." But how do you know? I mean, maybe I don't can't give you specific numbers of how many of them are doing that, but you can't tell me how many aren't because we it's just not tracked. There, you know. So, um, I it, and again, we already have a medical system that's under pressure. The last thing we want is uh, thousands or millions of people coming in here and test, you know, from countries where they're, you know, the disease prevention is minimal and they're, they're bringing these hepatitis or all kinds of different diseases that are just unseen. Um, so that's a big concern of mine is... Um, I just know it's more it's it's prevalent. It's prevalent. It's more prevalent than Ukraine. I mean, right. it's not just that. I don't want people to think I'm talking about the countries. Uh, I would. I don't want illegal immigrants from the Ukraine coming in here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, and that's one of the that's an interesting. I don't want point any because of them. we we tend to when we talk about illegal immigration, most people, including uh, Donald Trump, who I've seen you actually have a little bit of an affinity for on social media, but most people say, oh, it's just they they think Republicans are simply talking about Mexicans, but a lot of the the illegal immigration problem is China. It's Eastern Europe. It's former uh, Soviet bloc countries like Ukraine and, and uh, Latvia and, and Russia and uh, Bangladesh and India. I mean, and we also have a lot of illegal immigration from Africa. So it's simply not a Mexican problem or a Central American problem. Now that's getting the headlines because about 97% of Latin immigrants here are Mexican. Um, but a lot of them are from Central America. We saw Obama 
basically allow thousands, tens of thousands of Central American families to come here. They signed a little thing saying they'd show up for their court date, and then 90% of them disappeared. And they spread out, and they dispersed around the country, and guess what? I bet you they settled in sanctuary cities. So right now, U.S. taxpayers are having to pay for the education of these illegal aliens. We have no idea about their vaccination history, which you said was such an important part of, uh, uh, of coming here from the Ukraine. We have no idea what criminal background they may have. And we have no idea if they're going to be productive members of society. The fact of the matter is immigrants have a much higher percentage of being on social assistance, on public assistance, on welfare, than the average citizen. It's a fact. I am not a racist or a xenophobe for saying that. And I refuse to be shut down by people on the left that say any kind of criticism of, of, a, of an ethnic group or a minority means you're an abject racist. So we're going to take our final break here. We have uh, Alex Jimenez calling in. He'll uh, be presenting tonight at the Buckhead Young Republicans meeting. More with him in a minute. And we've had a great chat with Irene Strombitsky. And we're going to keep you here uh, on uh, on the show, and you'll be able to uh, talk with Alex as well. It's been a great show so far. See you in a couple minutes. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government as well as those involved in legal cases have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. We've had a great show today. Irina Strombitsky from the Ukraine originally, now a U.S. citizen, has joined us and just given us uh, an amazing perspective on a, on a wide swath of issues. Irina, thank you so much for, for coming in today. I'm going to bring in our next guest, uh, Alex Jimenez, who you, has been... You uh, be able to hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now, bud. So, uh, Alex, welcome to Greg's List. I know uh, you've, you've probably been a long-term listener, first-time caller. Yeah, we can hear you. 
uh, perfectly right now. Alex, are you able to hear us? Yes, uh, Greg. Uh, thanks for having me on. All Happy right. Bastille Day, by the way. Yes, no, we, we're celebrating Bastille Day, special election day, and uh, I think we're going to be seeing Pluto for the first time, and I am totally wanting Pluto to get back. I want them to do kick-ass on their job <laughs> interview today and become a planet once again. They're called a dwarf planet now. I think that's racist. But anyway, Alex Jimenez, Red Pill Forum, is going to be uh, presenting a, a part of his series of lectures tonight at Whitehall Tavern, Buckhead Young Republic. And it's about Cuba. Alex is a Cuban and Argentinian uh, heritage. And Alex, tell us a little bit about the uh, the program. I know it's uh, uh, we can't squeeze all of it into just a ten to fifteen minute segment, but I did want to preface it tonight because apparently it is riveting uh, in the words of Keith Hanks, the Buckhead Wire Chair. So tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of the program and uh, what you got on tap for tonight? Wow, that sound. No, I, I don't know if we lost him somehow, but um, you don't think it's yeah. Iran kicking in? You, you know, maybe do. it's an EMP. Yeah, you think? You think the? Do you think the uh, Persians might have sent in an electromagnetic pulse on us? I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> are we? Uh, are we suffering from the rage of the Ayatollahs already? You would have thought that they would have been able to get the release of those uh, the four or five political prisoners that we have over there. But, uh, Alex, I think uh, we got you back in. Hopefully. Alex, you back oh. with us? Yes, apparently that was uh, attacked by the, uh, by the Chinese. Um Okay, uh, causing a d- denial of service attack on my IP as I'm calling in. So. We we were we were thinking it was the Ayatollah sending an EMP. So you know we've got a, a whole geopolitical issue going on over there. But anyway, tell us about Red Pill Forum's presentation tonight, uh, Cuba, and uh, I know you've produced uh, presented it before and it got pretty good yep. reaction. So yes, yes, yes. Um, well, I could start anywhere. I could start a little bit with uh, why I'm doing it. That well, sounds first good to of me. All, you know, I'll let you I'll let you set the pace, but I'll start from this end. And if you want to want me move me along to some other direction, I'll be happy to. Uh, the reason I'm I'm doing uh, the presentation on Cuba uh, is because, unlike most of the discussion that's going on in the United States here in Atlanta, um, particularly with uh, the latest, I believe there's a junket by Kasim Reed down in, down into Cuba, and at least one or two forums that I've attended here in Atlanta, the discussion seems to be about what to do with Cuba. But what I notice is there's no Cubans in the room. Um, kind of bizarre, almost surreal. There are no Cubans. They're not asking what Cubans what Cubans should do. Uh, they're asking each other in, in a vacuum chamber. So I've decided to speak up because there's quite a bit of information about Cuba that should be known uh, to people who were not raised in the Miami exile community as I was. I was born and raised there. And so, you know, when you're surrounded by one million other Cubans who fled for reasons that are not well understood by the rest of the world, and then you're witnessing so-called normalizations with the same regime, um, at least in my case, I had to step out and do my best to set the record straight uh, so that we understand not just in terms of, wow, they did these bad things, let me get back at them. No, no, no. Certainly they did. I think where I'm coming from with this presentation is saying the reality of this deal with Cuba is as follows, and that's what I'm going to be talking about tonight is what the reality is inside of Cuba for Cubans and anyone hoping to invest there. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we're, we're with Irina Strombitsky, and um, she, uh, I, I won't say Irene. fled um, a regime, but uh, she certainly left a, 
uh, a former Eastern Bloc, uh, the Ukraine, and it certainly wasn't um, as, as, as business-friendly as we would hope. And I, you were talking about a little bit of the corrupt government. And before we started the show today, I talked to you. I said, you know, Europe has been able to invest in Cuba uh, for decades, really, and mm-hmm. we haven't seen the improvement. And you agreed. Did you ever hear of people going to Cuba? Yes, absolutely. I actually have some great stories. Um you know, I go to I go to uh, Cancun every year with my family. It's a it's a family trip. And uh, this pa- this past year, we were um, at a resort, and there was um, a lot of people there from Canada. And uh, there's a lot of the, of the people. You know, Canada, you can go into to Cuba to those resorts, and they've been going for years. And one thing they've told me is that the quality of those resorts is terrible. Hmm. Um, you know, and they just said that you know that there's just they don't even want to go. Um, you know, they've all been because, you know, it was something to try out. And not one person gave it a good review. So I don't know right. who's developing there, uh, what kind of dollars are being spent. But it definitely, right. uh, they're not taking advantage of uh, the, the great weather. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they mm-hmm. could be at Cancun. Well, Alex actually has some insight. He can tell us a yes. little bit about why the dollar isn't really working too much there. <laughs> yeah, the dollar and the euro don't work very much in, in Cuba. Um, I mean, I have to go back to 1959. 1959 was when the Cuban regime uh, basically dissolved the, the Workers' Central Union and replaced it with the Revolutionary Cuban Workers' Union. They basically suspended everything, like all the historical rights of the labor movement, nine days of sick leave, Christmas bonus, work week, right to strike, wage increases, all the things that you'd normally expect from a union. And basically they funneled everybody into something called the Confederation of Cuban Workers, Confederation of Cuban Workers is the only employment agency on the island of Cuba, and no surprise, it's controlled by the Castro, uh, the Castro crime family. And yes, I'm going to use inflammatory language right now. The Castro crime family controls the uh, Cuban workers. Pardon me, the Confederation of Cuban Workers. If you want to work in one of those resorts, and this is the mystery of why investments hasn't changed Cuba. If you want to invest in one of those resorts, here's a couple of facts that everyone should know. The resorts are at least 51% owned by the regime. And so 51% owned by the regime. The other 49% is provisional. They can take that away from you anytime, according to Cuban law. So you really are on the razor's edge as a foreign investor. Number two Mm -hmm. is that these are management contracts. So if you have a a well-known hotel chain, say from Europe, managing a hotel in Cuba, it's only a management contract. And so let's say that, and I'm going to just break this down into 30 seconds or less. If you are a foreign management company that needs labor, it is the Cuban Confederation of Workers as the sole employment agency that processes the request from, from the people of Cuba, say, I want to work in that hotel. Well, you have to get approval by the Communist Party. Now, imagine going, imagine wanting to work for a phone hotel here on the, uh, in Savannah and having to go to the Republican Party or the Democratic Party to get approval to go to the sole employment agency to then go work there. Secondly, there's a set, the second problem is this, is that the foreign employer, this hotel, for example, this resort, pays the Cuban government in hard currency. So they'll actually issue anywhere from 500 to 1,000 euro a month or 500 to 1,000 dollars a month, depending on you know what that worker is sold for by the regime. Uh, the regime at the union level, at the sole union employment agency level, pockets all the hard currency. Then what the Brookings, Brookings Institution causes, calls the world's heaviest, heaviest tax on labor. The conversion rate takes it to 24 to 1, and hands the, the Cuban worker non-convertible Cuban script money at the rate, they probably get about 20 pesos 
of non-convertible, non-tradable scrip. And if you, some people know the historical record, scrip coinage and scrip paper was used in mining towns throughout the United States and some parts of the world as a way of controlling labor and keeping them under the thumb of management. You didn't get real money. You had to buy at their company stores, which is the third problem, is once you're paid in these Cuban pesos, which are worthless, you have to go buy at the Cuban stores, the Cuban company stores owned by the Castros. So any wealth that's been entering the island under these schemes for the last four to five decades, none of the euros and none of the dollars are making their way into the pockets of any Cuban on the island because they're being paid in script. And last, my last point is, if you're a Cuban and you want to go and, apl and apply at that hotel directly, you are forbidden by law to do so. You can be fined and or arrested. And I hope that sheds some light on what's going on. All right. And real quick, Alex, we only have about two minutes, so if you can answer this for me. Um, what happens when Cuban-Americans send money back? Just real when, quick. I know I know that's there's probably a long answer to that, but I did want to find out because sure. that is pretty common where, uh, especially right. in Miami, they send a lot of money back. Right. What what happens with that? Well, it actually, it actually um, there is a fee, and there is a, and I have to do a little bit more investigating to get the name of the companies, but the most, not all, most of the companies that do what's called remitentes or paquetes or little packages back to Cuba, mm -hmm. there is some belief that most of them are controlled by the Castro regime, and this is kind of the mechanism. They've got your, they've got your family essentially hostage on the island. Law, 19, law 989, which was passed in 1961, doesn't let anybody out of the country. And furthermore, if you do leave the country, you've got 11, you've got about uh, one year and 11, one year and 11 months to come back or they confiscate everything. So essentially you can never leave. And so he doesn't really meet the needs of any of the people on Cuba. So essentially what, what they're doing, he's actually renting people's families back to them with that money. So if someone's sending $100 back to my family in Cuba, which I don't, they get a cut, and then that money is used to subsidize an activity that the Cuban government isn't even paying for because they're pocketing all the money, say, from all the investments. So, basic, so, basic, so basically, so we got to wrap up here, Alex, but uh, so basically sending money back to Cuba, that money ends up, uh, a large percentage of it anyway, back with the Castro regime. Is, is that safe Subsidizing. Subsidizing something Sub that they're refusing to pay for, which is a real life for Cubans. Okay. All right. Well, Alex Jimenez, we'll see you tonight, 7 p.m., Whitehall Tavern in South Buckhead for his uh, presentation about Cuba. Very fascinating. I think it'll shed a lot of light, and, and I'll probably be there with a couple couple of uh, questions about how Republicans can, can maybe, you know, steal this from Obama and turn things around in a, in a better way. And I uh, wanted to also thank Irina Strombitsky for joining us live in studio. Irina, thank, thank you, you so thank much. Thank you, Greg. And also, Alex, uh, you, this is very interesting. We would love to host you at Orchard Tucker when we open in August. This is well, thank you. Our, our residents would love to hear more about this. I mean, I can. this is very interesting and very thank unknown. <laughs> I would love to do it. Gracias. All right. Well, we'll see you tonight, Alex. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week on Greg's List. Bye-bye. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.